Uh, recently, I've been thinking about eternity. Uh, not the time between now and the 21st of May, uh, and not the promise in our second reading that there is a room for each of us in the house of our Father God, uh, which is an aspect of eternal life. But the way that being eternal allows God to do things we can hardly imagine. Uh, of course, for someone finite like me to contemplate the infinite God, it is, it's a bit silly. God, in all his eternal splendour, power and goodness, will always be beyond us. But every now and again, we get a glimpse of our eternal God. Uh, if you have heard me speak before, you will know that I most often get a glimpse of the infinite beauty of God when I read and think about Jesus. For he is the embodiment of God. When we see Jesus, we see the infinite God who sent him in love for us. Uh, one thing that's got me thinking about eternity and the infinite nature of God is prayer. Uh, there are said to be about two billion Christians in the world today. Uh, I don't know how many of them consciously pray to God each day. But of course, God is not limited by our willingness or ability to pray. He hears our groanings and helps us even when we don't know what to say or if we can't put to words our hopes and longings. One way or another, God is in communication with each of those two billion people every day, whether we're conscious of it or not. And that's a lot of relationships to maintain and start getting to think about big and really infinite. And there are nearly 8 billion people in the world today. And I take it that God hears the prayers of each one of them too. They may be couched in different ways and said in different languages, in various mosques and temples and other places of worship, and said on prayer mats and around campfires and in beds and wherever else we express our fears and needs and hopes. To be clear, God hears all our prayers, whether we are Christian or not. For how else can he know everything and connect with people who need him? So because he is God and because he has created each one of us, and because he loves each one of us, he hears billions of prayers every day. Perhaps hundreds of millions at any one moment in time. The only way I can get my head around the sheer scale of that is to contemplate eternity, where we are not limited by time. Uh, in eternal life, a moment does not limit what God can do in that moment, because it doesn't have a beginning, a middle and an end, like we think of moments in time. And therefore God can hear me and be totally focused upon me, at the same moment he hears you and millions of other people around the world. One aspect of this is the way it opens ourselves up to the way that God can somehow know how scripture can work in the minds of billions of souls in different ways over thousands of years. 
somehow God could know and be focused on the thoughts and loves and devotions of the psalmist when he or she wrote our psalm today, maybe a thousand years before Jesus. And yet God could also know how this psalm would be used in private and public devotions of the people of Israel over the next 3,000 years. And God also knows how Christians would hear it and be inspired by it. For however long there is between Jesus' death on the cross and his return. Therefore, while the psalm has a spe- had a specific meaning and purpose when it was first composed, it's as if God knows how it would be used for, for thousands of years, uh, including by each one of us today. It seems that among the people of Israel, Psalm 15 may have been used in two ways. Uh, the first is as an entrance psalm. It was a psalm that prepared worshippers for worship. First in the tabernacle or tent uh, that they had from the days of Exodus, uh, and then in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Only if they are as pure as the psalmist describes are they worthy to worship the one true God. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain in Zion? In other words, Lord, who can come into your holy presence and worship you? And that's a good question for an Israelite to ask all those years ago. And it's also a good question for us to ask today. The psalmist answers, the one whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. A person wanting to worship God must be pure and clean throughout. Their hearts must be pure and their thoughts and their words. They must be a person whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honours those who fear the Lord and keeps an oath even when it hurts and, that, and who does not change their mind. I don't think that that means they can't change their mind if they misunderstood something or made a wrong decision. It means they don't mislead people or, or let people suffer because they're unreliable. A true worshipper must be a person who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, and who does these things, and whoever does these things will never be shaken. Shaken out of the temple, shaken from their trusting God, in other words, separated from God and his people. You can see why a devout Israelite may take the words of the psalm to their lips to prepare for worship as they entered the tent or the temple, much as we start our services with prayer of confession. We have it at the beginning of each service to cleanse ourselves for what follows. We we start with repentance, for we know that if we repent in our hearts, we are forgiven and justified and uh, sanctified, and therefore we are worthy to worship God. And don't worry if you're not too sure what those words mean. 
they're, they're basically together they mean that we're right with God. And when we're right with God, we can come into his presence and, and worship him. And that's one reason we have the confession. So that we are clean throughout, cleansed by Jesus' work for us, cleansed by our act of repentance, and cleansed to worship God. And delightfully, as one uses this psalm to contemplate what one needs to be to worship God, one moves closer to being that person. We are shaped by what we do. We stop, we examine ourselves. We repent, which means not just acknowledging our failures and saying sorry to God, but turning back to God, making the changes in the way we deal with the world and others that we need to make so that we can seek the good of God and our neighbours. And when we do that, we are better prepared to enter the presence of the Lord, to hear his words read, to meditate on his words, to offer our praise and to make our requests. Well, you can see why this is called an entrance psalm. It, it recognises that God is holy and it prepares one to enter into God's holy presence to, to worship him. But the psalm also fits well with the Israelite tradition of wisdom. It focuses on what it looks like to walk well in the sight of God. Uh, and that is wisdom. Not knowing heaps of stuff, not knowing how to split the atom or to get to the moon but how to make the right decisions in life, to choose the right path over the many wrong paths, to think well, to speak well, to discern injustice, to not exploit the poor and to not act corruptly. That is wisdom that is set out so succinctly in this psalm. I mean, it's only a few verses, but it really captures wisdom so beautifully. The, the psalm tells us how to live well before God as an aid for us to do that. But what did God have in mind for Christians? Uh, including Christians in the 21st century after the death of his son. Well, obviously the psalm still works as a psalm to prepare us for worship and as a guide to wisdom. But our experience of God and our relationship with God is shaped most by the cross that stands over us and that was not the experience of Israel until the first Easter. For on that cross, God died for us to give us access to him in ways hinted at but not fully known before the first Easter. Access had always been by faith through God's grace, but now people could know that it was through trusting that Jesus died for us and, and showed us the way to the Father, uh, as we heard in our second Bible reading. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads his sheep in ways of righteousness, in whom we can be blameless because of his atoning sacrifice. And so as Christians, we can look to Christ we can look for Christ in this psalm. And when we do, God opens up a wonderful new dimension of worship, wisdom and life. And when we sang that song, I Delight in the Lord, it was when I read this psalm 
thinking about Jesus that my heart warmed and I was just absolutely delighted. And I want to share that delight with you now. The psalm becomes a psalm of devotion to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Entrance, wisdom and devotion. It's just beautiful. So let's see how this works as devotion. Verse 1. Question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Answer, Jesus. For he is without sin. He is the perfect personification of love. He is the one who has done all you could possibly ask of him. Who may live on your holy mountain. Jesus, who you have already lifted up from the grave to live in an imperishable and incorruptible body, to sit at your right hand. Jesus, the one you fully vindicated by that resurrection. And you lifted him to a place of power and authority because he alone deserves it. Jesus is the one whose walk was and is blameless, who was without sin and who was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If the psalm makes us think about Jesus and what it would be like for us to be like Jesus, then it prepares us to worship God as we seek to walk in Jesus' footsteps. For obedience to Jesus is true worship and wisdom. Jesus is the one who is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart. Jesus' tongue never uttered slander, So often his words were gentle and kind. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke, my teaching, is light and fits you. God could speak directly and critically of hypocrites, but he never spoke a false word. Jesus did no wrong to a neighbour. In fact, he showed us through the parable of the Good Samaritan and in many other ways who is our neighbour and how to care for them. Jesus cast no slur on others, whether because of their gender or their ethnicity or their otherness. He loved and loved and loved. Jesus despised the vile person. Woe to you hypocrites! but honoured those who fear the Lord. Think of the way he treated the Syrophoenician woman whose son had been suffering badly, or the the men who brought a paralysed man to Jesus to be healed, but first forgiven, or the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, or the centurion who trusted Jesus could heal by his word alone, or the Samaritan woman at the well, or Mary Magdalene, or Mary his mother, Jesus spoke kind words to people in need. If we fear the Lord as Jesus showed, as we should, we can trust he will honour us, as the psalmist said all those years before. And how can we consider what the next lines of our psalm means when we apply them to Jesus? the one whose worship was acceptable to God, the one who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind, 
And who has done that better than the one who came to earth in accordance with God's plan of salvation to live as one of us, to understand the struggles and limitations of human life so he could take us into the age to come? Who chose to die on a cross for us? Who on the night before he died went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Troubled, but still focused. And as he contemplated the cup of wrath that lay before him, he sought only to do his Father's will. Though tempted, he did not change his mind, just as the psalmist says. It's almost as if the psalmist knew what was coming a thousand years later. We never saw Jesus lend money, whether interest-free or with interest, for he gave and gave and gave. He fed 5,000 and then 4,000 and cared so much for the poor and the outcast and never asked for anything in return. When Satan tempted Jesus in the desert and offered him all that the world could offer, Jesus did not accept that bribe, for to do so would have made him unworthy for the task that lay before him to save humanity. Rather, he chose a humiliating death on a cross. And so as we come to the psalm today, we can think of Jesus on the cross and then raised to glory. And I think it just adds a a wonderful new dimension to the psalm. The psalm seems to anticipate him as the perfect example of one who is wise. And we can know that if we follow Jesus, we will be worthy, worthy to enter into his present to worship him. And, And when we do that, we also know that like him, we will not be shaken. Sometimes when I think about eternity and the infinite character and attributes of God, I end up going round and round in circles. But not with Psalm 15. You can use Psalm 15 as you choose, as an entrance to worship, as God's gift of his wisdom, as a devotion to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, or as a prayer for God's help for us to be more like Jesus, knowing, as he said in the second reading, that he will grant us what we ask in his name. But however we use it, let's use it. Although written 3,000 years ago in God's eternal wisdom and providence, it was written for our good today and tomorrow. If all of us use it in the same way, or or sorry, if all of us use it in in our different ways, God will still hear us in eternity. And he will always have time for our repentance, for our questions, for our devotion, and for our prayers. And one response is to ask God to create in us clean hearts so that we are worthy to worship him, that we may be like Jesus and follow his way. And we can do that with our next song. So please stand and join us as we sing.